All right. Good early evening, everyone. Good early evening. What is, what is appropriate to say at 5 p.m.? Can you still say good, good afternoon? Is still okay? All right. All right. Good day. Good day. Do we have any Aussies in the house? No Aussies here, right? Are we all just Americans and Canadians here? We have one Pakistani. <laughs> all right, praise the Lord. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. You know, over at uh, Hillside, uh, I didn't preach today. Uh, Pastor Aaron did, my wife. Uh, she preached a powerful word on submission, the secret to submission. Man, it was a powerful word. It was like one single central idea, and she drove that home. So I just want to encourage all of you guys, uh, especially those who are on leadership or taking leadership, I want to encourage all of you guys, go and listen to that message. It's a powerful word called Secret to Submission. It's what she preached today. Um, and I want to share a couple of things before I preach my message that uh, I just feel like God was kind of speaking to my heart about. Uh, there's a there's a funny uh, video that I put on my Facebook page a few a week ago or two, uh, and in it was a African American preacher, and he was talking about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. And I hope I hope there ain't too many like religious people in here because they're all about to get offended. All right. I'm going to just do it anyway. All right. <laughs> so uh, in, the, in the message, he was talking about forgiveness. And he was like, the new F word in the church needs to be forgive. And then he says, turn to your neighbor and tell him F you. All right. All right. And then he says, text all your exes and tell them, I'm at church. F you. All right. Go up to your in-laws and tell them F you and your whole family. Right. And... Um, Thought, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful word. It's a new F word. You know, you know, when I was growing up in Philly, or I used to use the F word all the time. All right, you could not survive on the streets of Philly if you didn't put the F word in every other sentence. How many of y'all used to use the F word a lot? Look at all you sinners. Look at all these sinners. <laughs> Foul mouth, dirty mouth, none. But I used to be one of them as well. And, uh, you know... It's quite refreshing to me what the African-American preacher was doing. He was flipping it around and saying, we got a new F word in the church. Right? Forgive. We need to learn how to use that word more often. Just like people who don't know Christ use the F word a lot, we need to use the word forgive a lot. Right? And this morning, um, I got a, I got an email from somebody that I don't even know. I don't even know her. I don't know who she is. Right, and she wrote me this email, and she was like, "You don't know who I am, <laughs> and I probably have no right to speak into your life." And she was replying to my church-wide message about uh, church discipline with our brother Sam. As most of you guys are aware of the situation, we asked you guys to stop communication with him. We asked you to defriend him on Facebook and all that stuff. And everybody here has been in full submission to that. And um, she wrote back about that, and she's like, "I shouldn't." I, I, I really don't have a place to really speak into your life, but let me just tell you, 
You know, I'm a prophetic woman. Let me just tell you about the spirit of God. There are some things that God wants to purify in your heart. So you better examine yourself. Or something like that. Right? Because when I started reading it, Holy Spirit said, delete it. Right away. I just felt it in my spirit. Don't even bother. So I kind of read it one and a half times. And then I was like, okay, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't want to disobey you. No, but... um. You know, it was, it was, it was uh, a lot of just um, very critical, a lot of negativity in her and the spirit by what she was saying. I'm, so, I'm sure she meant well, right? But she has not walked a mile in my shoes. She hasn't invested into the lives of these congregation members here. She's not held accountable by God to how the, the vision of this house is stewarded and how the health and emotional the, the emotional and spiritual health of this congregation, she's not held accountable for that. I am. So when I, when I, when I got in the shower, though, um, I, could, I could hear the devil's whisper was speaking through that email saying, you need to purify yourself. Christian, there's something wrong. You better examine yourself, Christian. And I said, I said, shut up, devil. I'm taking, I'm taking a shower. <laughs> Shut up. And I was like, you know what? Bless her. F her. F and bless her. I forgive her. I don't know who she is, but I forgive her. I bless her and I don't want to think about it again. And you know what? I thought of an analogy on the way to church from this example. And uh, the analogy was every Sunday we have service here. And during this time, we have one mic, and everybody listens to whoever grabs that mic, right? But whether we have a Friday fire prayer meeting or Sunday swim prayer meeting or any church gathering we do, who grabs the mic? Would you, would, would you as an audience allow just anybody that you never saw come off the street and grab that mic and speak into your life? No, right? You'd be like, what you, bitch, get that mic. Who are you? Security. Wait, we don't have security. <laughs> Novo. Get this homie out of here. Susie Ree. Elbow kick this guy. Elbow kick, what is that? <laughs> but uh, we would never give the mic to somebody just came off the street, right? Well, I just felt like the Lord was saying the same thing. Regarding our soul. We need to be careful who we give a mic to. When it comes to them speaking into our soul. What we wouldn't do for church. We allow people to do all the time. Through Facebook. Through emails. Through blogs. You know some of these. In the social media age that we live in. There are. You know. I said this at Hillside. The way that we validate. That a blogger has authority and authenticity. Do you know. The way that we validate whether a blog is good or not, whether it has authenticity or not, do you know how we validate it? Based on the design. If the blog looks nice, we automatically think, oh, this person must have credibility. You know? But today, any knucklehead can get on to blogger, choose a nice looking template, give it a nice title, and then start airing out all their opinions. Where this person has no accountability to a body of Christ. This person is not in submission. 
this person doesn't know anything about love. All this person is doing is airing out their opinions, criticizing and slamming and slandering other ministries. And you know what we do? We get on the internet, we go, oh, the design of this blog looks pretty nice. Let me allow this blogger that I don't even know, who's pretty much off the street, let him speak into my life. And then you, you read something on the blog, and you're like, wait a minute, that's like in direct opposition to what Pastor Christian preached on Sunday. And what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Pastor Christian is wrong. <laughs> he doesn't know his stuff, right? But that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. As a father, as a spiritual father of the house, I'm investing into you. Every week I get up here and I preach. I preach for like a long time. I preach <laughs> for a long time. But I'm going to tell you, I, I prepare even longer. Most of the time. I prepare <laughs> longer. All the hours spent preparing and delivering the word, I'm, I'm just feeding your soul. I'm trying to bring balanced diet into your spiritual walk so that you can grow up in character, that you can grow up in the uh, fruit of the spirit as well as the gifts of the spirit. And I'm helping you to go, this person has never done a single thing for you and we allow them authority to speak into our lives. That needs to stop. Everybody hear me? Even if you get like a random email from some old friend and, and you recommended my podcast to them, they listen to it and they, they just write back. They haven't spoken to you for seven, ten years. You, you actually don't even like them. But they write back and you're like, your, your pastor is uh, unbiblical. Your pastor is offensive. He's probably ugly too. You know what? And, and you're like, you're like, oh, no, what if these things are true? Okay. We need to put an end to that. Just as we will not let anyone just grab the mic up here on a Sunday, don't let just anybody grab the mic to your soul. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because the devil will use these people without covering to plant all kinds of deception, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of confusion to stump your growth, to bring you out of covering. Here's what Pastor Benjamin said. He said that when you have to submit to a word given by somebody without covering, when you have covering, that's out of order. Because you know why? Because if you, if you get a word from somebody who does not have any covering, and that word disagrees with the person who's giving you covering, guess what you have to do to submit to that word? You got to get out of covering. That's out of order. That is out of order, Pastor Benjamin was teaching me. And I think it makes perfect sense. So, you know, that's not my message, but I just want to share that. You know, wh whoever that lady was, bless her. I effer, effer, bless her. Oh, that sounds so offensive. I'm going to stop that right now. All right. Go on to my message. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. You know, haters going to hate, but I'm getting stronger. I'm getting stronger. Haters can hate, but I'm getting stronger. You know what? I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like Kanye West's character. I think he's got terrible character. But, you know, I like what he said one time. He was like, you know, my enemies make me stronger. I think it's right. You know, you can you, let your enemies beat you down and hold you back. 
or you can let those enemies actually help you to rise higher. When, the, when, when you get cursed, when you get persecuted, Jesus said, what, what did he say? He said, bless and do not curse. Pray for them. Love your enemies. Why does he teach us that? Because if we respond that way in faith, every time somebody does something negative to us, it actually helps us to go higher. God turns all things for the good of those who love him. I don't know about you, but, you know, I want everything to work for my good. For me to be a better man. Hallelujah. Let's look at the passage today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. It says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Amen. You know, faith is a very powerful thing. Last year, our church's theme was 2010 was the year of epic faith, meaning that it was a year in which God really Challenged our faith, tested our faith, increased our faith, stretched our faith. It was a year of faith. And faith is a very powerful thing. The Bible says in the book of James that Elijah was an ordinary man just like us. And he prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain. Hallelujah. Faith is a powerful thing. Did you know that tomorrow it's supposed to rain? That's what the weather forecast says. It's supposed to rain. But uh, tomorrow is my wife's birthday. And my wife wants to go see some cherry blossoms before they die. Because <laughs> they die after like four days. Man, cherry blossoms. I wish you could inject it with some, de- like some, some kind of steroids so they can live longer. They're so pretty, you know, and they die so quick. Uh, and so she was like, ah, I guess we won't be able to see the cherry blossoms tomorrow. And I was like, no, quite, quite the contrary, my, my love. <laughs> Elijah was a man just like me, and he prayed, and it didn't rain. Honey, I'm going to pray that it will not rain tomorrow. All day. So even at your birthday dinner, no rain. And so I prayed. And I believe that God will hold back the rain. Because you know what? I've seen it again and again and again. Uh, in fact, uh, back in uh, my Campus Crusade days, we used to have a Korea conference here in Korea. Uh, over 10,000 students would gather, and we'd have this huge conference, and it was amazing. And a lot of the times, we had the conference in the middle of monsoon season in July. And my freshman year at NYU, I went to the conference. And back then, they used to make all the students tent, pitch tents. And uh, on one particular year, I'm about to cry just thinking about it, 1998, they did it near a beach, right, pitching tents. And so, you know, we were all looking forward to it. We had trained ourselves from New York City. We were all trained ourselves, a team of about 12 of us, and we were like ready to rough it. But let me tell you, that conference was like the worst suffering that I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> okay. First of all, they gave us a tent for about four or five people, and they jammed eight men into these tents. 
On top of that, it's monsoon season. So it started pouring rain from day one. So before we can even pitch our tents, it's raining mud everywhere. And we're trying to pitch our tents and we're all getting wet. And you know that feeling where your t-shirt's wet and your underwear's wet and your socks are wet and then your sneakers are wet? I hate that feeling. (laughs) And there was no place to escape that for five days straight. Shoes smelling like all kinds of stuff by the second day. I mean, it was it was a terrible, terrible time. And uh, almost every single day it, it rained and... They had these makeshift bathrooms. And by two and a half days, they were overflowing with all kinds of stuff. That wasn't the bad part. Then all that kind of stuff, it started to make a little river. And then the rain started coming down again. It started mixing with all that rain. And I kid you not, it was stinky all over the place. I, I know what it means to suffer with Christ. <laughs> that, was, that was a hard time. Now, uh, this experience traumatized so many of the Campus Crusade students and staff. <laughs> but the staff, they began a year uh, after that. Actually, um, we did one more thing the year after that where we did tents. And then the year after that, they were so traumatized by uh, this one year in 98. And the year before as well, 97 was both so bad. They decided to rent out condominiums. So we went from like roughing it in tents to like really super nice condom- condominiums. Except, you know, it would be like 12 students into a condominium for two people. But, you know, we're in Korea. Everyone sleeps on the floor. So, you know, you could just all jam it in. But we were so happy. We were like, you know, all these other students from New York and L.A., they would come and they would be like, oh, this is terrible. But like, shut up. You are a spoiled little brat. You don't know what it means to suffer. Punk, stop crying and sleep, you know. Um, but what would happen was because we were still, ha- although we're in condominiums, it's still raining and all our worship services were outside. So um, back in when 98, when it was raining, I, I, I was standing, I remember, in knee deep water and I had to listen to the sermon like this. And I, I had jet lag, right? Because I just came off the airplane. And I remember I, I was like falling asleep and I'll be like, Oh, snap. If I fall asleep, I'm going to be all wet in this nasty water. Mosquitoes, like, they're like 30 mosquitoes all buzzing around. And they're like, they're all like mocking you. They're not biting you yet. They're all just like, we're, we're going to all bite you. And you're like, how come they're not biting me yet? Uh, anyway, so what the staff did in response to that was a couple years later, uh, when it, it, the, the worship services were still getting rained out, the staff started to come together and to pray for rain to cease during our worship services. And I kid you not, after the staff started taking up this policy, after they started doing this thing, after they started to pray and apply their faith, right, like 80% of our worship services were clear and dry. And then there's this one year I remember. It was so weird. It was like it was like walking through the wilderness with Israel back in Moses' time, because uh, we were. It was all the forecasts were for rain. We were. It was raining, and then the staff were praying. And a couple of minutes before the worship began, it stopped raining. So we look up, 
and there's clear skies. But I kid you not, around the perimeter of the mountain, you can see a circle where all the rain clouds are pushed back. So around the outer perimeter of a circle, you can see it's still raining. But in the middle there, it was, it was not raining. So yeah, my wife and I are going to see cherry blossoms tomorrow. <laughs> um, anyway, personal faith is very powerful when you apply it. But today I'm not, I'm not here to talk about personal faith. I'm here to talk about something uh, even more powerful than your personal faith. And that is the power of corporate faith. Just like I mentioned in my example with the Campus Crusade staff, when they began to come together and pray specifically for the rain to stop, majority of the time the rain stopped. There's power in corporate faith. And we read here today, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us about the power of corporate faith. If we come together and agree about anything, it will be done for us. When the 120 disciples prayed in the upper room, they were praying actually for one specific thing. Okay, So the period of time from when Jesus ascended until the day of Pentecost came where the Holy Spirit was poured out, that period is about 10 days, right? Because about 40 days after Jesus resurrected, he ascends. On the 50th day, Holy Spirit comes, right? So it's a little less than 10 days if you want to technically do it. But, um, and when the 120 disciples were gathered together in the upper room praying, they were actually praying for one thing and one thing specifically. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Because Jesus gave them a very specific order. He said, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when these 120 people came together, they came together not to pray about all their little personal interests. They came together to pray about one thing and one thing only. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then a few days later on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The sound of a rushing wind comes into the room. There are flames of fire starts to appear, rests upon all of them, and then they begin to speak in tongues that the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. You see, Jesus could have poured out the Holy Spirit, baptized his people in the Holy Spirit in a different way. But I believe he chose this method to teach his disciples about the power of corporate faith. He could have said to all 120 of them, hey, all y'all go to your homes, all right? And, and don't, don't leave Jerusalem. Just go to your homes and pray about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, John baptized with water, but I, didn't, I never baptized anybody with water. You know, you know me, you know. You know what, remember what John the Baptist said about me, Matthew 3, 11, you know, you know, you know, he who comes after me, you know, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to uh, pick up. He's not going to baptize you with the water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's me. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But go home and pray about it. He didn't do that, right? He said he, he had them come together and they came together and prayed about one thing. 
and the, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out. The power of corporate faith is amazing. It was not the faith of one man that shook that upper room. It was the applied faith of 120 praying in unison. When you come in agreement with just one other person, there is a synergy that is more dynamite than if you were praying about the same thing separately. Somebody say amen. Do you know what the definition of synergy is? One plus one equals three. That's the definition of synergy. All right. Stay with me in the abstract realm. Okay. All the uh, Asians in here, you're like, no, I I will never accept that. (laughs) No, synergy means one plus one equals three. Meaning like, uh, what's a good analogy, right? What's a good analogy? Uh, Meaning, um, oh, no, that's not a good analogy. <laughs> What's a good analogy? Like uh, if if you're in a crew 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 team, you 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 row crew, right? All of those individual crew members, no matter how strong they are, if they crew and they row by themselves, they cannot go nearly as fast as when they can row together. Is somebody with me? Right, uh, what's a better analogy? I'm trying to think of a better analogy here. All right, anyway, synergy means that what you two can pray for alone on your own, the power from praying that way does not equal the power that can be released when you pray together. You hear what I'm saying? This is one, this is one. If y'all pray separately, you get two. But when you pray together, there's a synergy. And you actually get three. Somebody with me here. All right. So come on. Come on. I know I'm being clear. I'm being clear as day. Hallelujah. Um, in Acts chapter 4, the church was first persecuted. And in response to this persecution... Check out what the church did. If you would turn to Acts 4, 29 and 31. The first believers, they did not mobilize personal faith to persevere through this persecution. They didn't tell each other, hey, go into your prayer closet and pray about this persecution. No, the believers, they gathered together in one place and then they came in agreement to mobilize corporate faith in response to the persecution. All right, so Acts 4, 29, 31. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the power of corporate faith. You know, um, you can see the power of corporate faith in music. How many of you guys were at last night uh, concert, the benefit concert for Jerusalem Ministries? I had a wonderful time. I had an amazing time. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really proud of Pastor John Michael for putting together such a wonderful, professional, beautiful benefit concert. 
And uh, I was really surprised and just really just blessed being there. And uh, they had a couple ensembles. And uh, they had a acapella group with about seven people. They sang together. They had this famous guitarist, but even the famous guitarist didn't play by himself. He played with three other people. You see, you can see the power of corporate faith when it comes to music. When an orchestra or a band comes together and they play music in agreement with each other, the music created together has a much more powerful dynamic when they, as when they perform it alone. <laughs> Solos in music are very wonderful. You know, Whitney Houston, you know, comes up and sings, you know, I will always love you. You guys know that song? I love that song. <laughs> Solos are powerful. Uh, we, uh, and I love jazz music and jazz, you know, we, we live for the solo, the creativity of the individual, right? But music world would not be the music world without the power of corporate faith, without that power of collaboration, without the power of agreement. Imagine if you came to a rock concert and the, the band members, they all decide to play in a different key. All right. You will walk out that concert with a quickness. I don't care how much money you paid. That will be painful to sit through even one song where the, all, all four or five band members are playing their own key. Right? But when they come together and they play in the same key and they play in the same melody, it's very powerful. There's power in agreement. <clears throat> in sports, you can see the power of corporate faith in sports. If I had to choose between Watching golf or hockey, I choose hockey every time. I don't know if there's some golf lovers out there, but I don't see what the point is of watching golf. It looks like the same thing over and over and over again. And then what do you, what do you, what do you do? You just watch them walking to the next, the next hole. Man, it's so boring. And then you get to watch people clap. Golf is boring to me. But you know what's dynamic is, is hockey. When the different players of that team, they come together. And they're checking people to the boards. And they're passing. And keeping it within the blue line. When they're on a power play. And they're dumping the puck in. And they're crashing the net. It's powerful. Hockey is powerful. And it shows us a glimpse of the power of agreement and power of corporate faith. You know, don't get me wrong, solo sports are wonderful, but there's something so special about when a team overcomes challenges. You know, if, when, whenever they do like documentaries about like solo athletes and solo sports, it's, it's moving. It's like, oh wow, Monica, uh, well, no, 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 not Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Who's the other a skater? And anyway, you know, you, you know all the ice skaters and figure skaters. You know, you hear the story, and even Yuna, Kim, and you hear the stories, and you get moved by that. You're like the Olympic, you know, documentary people. Man, they make some moving, you know, documentaries about their athletes. But nothing comes close to watching a documentary of a team that overcame challenges. 
to win a championship, to win a Super Bowl. I love, I don't care who wins the Super Bowl, although I really want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. I don't care who wins the Super Bowl. At the end of that season, NFL Films always makes a documentary featuring that team and what challenges they had to overcome to become the Super Bowl champion. When I watch that stuff, man, I get moved to tears. But that's powerful. I mean, it's hard enough trying to play together as a team, you know, people with different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different skin color, you know, different, you know, levels of athleticism, different, uh, different roles on the team. And then, you know, people that are playing the line, they always feel like nobody cares about them. Nobody sees them. Nobody mentions their name during the game. So, you know, when they get injured, they're replaceable. And then, you know, they're all these things, you know, it's like, it's a picture of the body of Christ. I think no other sport <laughs> gives us a clearer picture of the church than American football. And I stand by that right now. Because how many of y'all in here, you, you, you feel like the, line, the, the lineman who has to block all the time? The intercessors? Come on, y'all. You know, the enemy's coming to attack and you're constantly blocking through prayer. You know, yeah, you're blocking people constantly through prayer. Or you're like the personal assistant. You have to snap the ball to the quarterback all the time. You know, hike, hike. And then, you know, one time you snap the ball wrong and it costs you the game, you know, or something like that. Not that, that that's ever happened with our personal assistant. <laughs> or you don't feel particularly powerful. You can't tackle. What are you? You're the kicker. Right? You're the kicker. All you can do is do one thing and do it well. <laughs> Just go out there, you kick. And then if somebody runs it back, you're in trouble because you don't know how to tackle nobody. That's how you feel. You know, because all you can do is set up chairs. Well, that's what you think right now. That's how you might feel, you know. But I think football gives us this amazing picture of the church. And I think I love football because when football teams come together in agreement, despite all their differences, and they overcome their enemies, and they reach that championship, and they reach like those pinnacles of success. And, you know, once they win a Super Bowl, no... No football team says, oh, we, we're, we're finished. We're complete. No football team does that. Why? Because you want to get the dynasty. You want to get the three championships within the five years, right? That's defined as a dynasty. Is that the definition of dynasty? Something like that. And even when you get a dynasty, you still want to continue to win championships. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers have done. The Green Bay Packers have done. Oh, we got some Pittsburgh people in here. Sorry. Sorry that, uh, no, anyway, I'll stop right there. All right. <laughs> you know, it's about time that the church start to tap into the power of corporate, corporate faith. We start learning how to come together and tap into the power of corporate faith. Together, church, we can make beautiful music. Amen? Amen. Together, we can overcome and win championships from glory to glory to glory. Hallelujah. We talk about Football dynasties, I'm talking about church dynasties. You know what I'm saying? For me, every, every fruitful church plan, every fruitful and successful church plan, that's like a Super Bowl ring to me. You know what I'm saying? 
That's, that's the way I see it in, in, in the church equivalent. Y'all eat ten one right here. Y'all eat ten one. All y'all right here. I wear you proudly on my heart. I love what God is doing here in this church plant. I love every person that's come in here whose lives have been touched and changed. People who didn't have covering and came into covering. I love everything that God is doing here. And you know what? It's not easy. We face challenges. We face opposition. We face criticism. Sometimes we've got to meet the press and answer some questions. But hallelujah. <laughs> the Lord has taken us from glory to glory. Uh, if you look in the previous verse, verse 18, check this out. Let me, let me show you a little bit of revelation here. Verse 18 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Did you know that this verse appears verbatim two chapters earlier? I want you to circle the word you. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind. Circle that word you. Okay, because in the Greek, that word you is not usted, it's ustedes. If you know Spanish. In the English language, the word you has no singular or plural form. But in Spanish and in many languages of the world, including Greek, there is a plural form of the word you. And in fact, verse 18 appears verbatim in chapter 16, 19. Whatever you bound in earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. But in chapter 16, the word you is singular. But in chapter 18, the word you is plural. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is Jesus is teaching about the power of corporate faith. Not only coming in agreement about a prayer request, but even binding and loosing. You know, sometimes we have a prayer meeting and we say, let's pray for North Korea. Let's bind up those uh, idolatrous spirits that are causing all that deception and keeping the people under a curse by having them bow down to Kim Jong-un. Let's bind that idolatrous spirit, that occultic spirit, and let's just bind them and break it off the country. And people are like, what is all that about? Well, that is about corporate faith. That's not just Tanya and Janine and Sepir and Ryan Duker coming together. And those four people, their faith put together is affecting something in North Korea. No. That's them four coming together and binding and loosing together. There's a binding and a loosing that happens individually. There's a binding and loosing that happens corporately. In our church, we need, we need to tap into that. We need to realize the power of corporate faith. And you know who hates corporate faith the most? The devil. The devil hates corporate faith. That's why he is always seeking to bring people out of covering. He's always seeking to... He, his strategy is to divide and conquer. He can't attack you when you're in covering. But when he can get you separated and alone, he knows he can have his way with you. The devil hates corporate faith. He knows the power, the synergy that's behind corporate faith. So that's why he's always trying to create dissension, division, disunity in the body of Christ. 
in the Old Testament, when Moses sent out, I mean, when Joshua sent out, um, I'm sorry, when Moses sent out the ten spies, the devil made sure that the spies with the negative reports, ten of them, they came back, and the devil made sure that those negative reports spread throughout the entire camp. That negative report, you know what it did? It was a direct attack against the corporate faith of the Israelites. Because can I tell you something right now? Because of that negative report by those 10 spies, the 10 of the 12 spies, because of that negative report, it killed the corporate faith of the Israelites. And without that corporate faith, that first generation of Israel failed, failed to enter the promised land. And by the way, it was not God's will for them to die in the desert. We need to come out of that kind of thinking that whatever happened must be God's will. That is an elementary, simplified view of theology. That is a elementary, simplified view of theology. I'll keep it at that. <laughs> we need to come out of that. Just because they died in the desert, it doesn't mean, oh, I guess that was God's will for them. No. God's will for them was clear. I'm taking you into the promised land. But because of that report, they did circles in the desert until that first generation died off. And when the wrath of God for that generation was lifted, God chose Joshua and Caleb to lead the people, the next generation, the young generation, into the promised land. Devil hates corporate faith. Brothers and sisters, here at New Philadelphia Church at ET1, we have a promised land that God wants our church to enter. Y'all believe that? You know, our core leaders were meeting this past week, and when we met and talked together, I, I try to challenge their, their dreams of what they want to see at the church. And uh, I was reading some stuff by Mark Driscoll, and I was kind of really hit by revelation by some of the stuff he said. Because Mark Driscoll was responding to the simple church movement. And the simple church movement, they hate on the mega church movement. As if the mega church is like the, 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 that, anyway, they use some really bad negative words for mega church movement. And they think it's just like a, uh, the church turning the church into a business into a business-like organization. They hate the megachurch movement. And Mark Driscoll was like, I disagree. He said, guess where all the good worship music comes out of? Not little simple churches of 20 and 30 that are gathering in people's homes, although that's legit and that's good, and with God's doing that through you, then praise the Lord. But we never, we never sang any of your songs, by the way. We're glad you're keeping it small and you're keeping it real. But we never sang one of your songs. We never used any of your Bible study curriculum. Guess where all that's coming from? Mark Driscoll's eyes coming from the mega church. The mega church is able to have influence on a citywide level. And even a nationwide level. And when it comes down to it, God causes people to have that kind of salt and light influence. And so we're talking about... New Philly Church 
And I just challenged the leaders. I said, hey, church, check this out. Five, ten years from now, about ten years from now, when my little baby, if I have a baby, I mean, I will have a baby, hallelujah. (laughs) When my little babies are like nine years old, all right, I'm imagining our church ministering to thousands. Not hundreds, thousands. And the glory of the latter house is to be greater than the first. I'm talking tens of thousands. And Mark Driscoll was like, so many American Christians hate uh, mega churches. And mega churches, I think, are defined as 2,000 or more, right? But he was like, uh, the largest church in Korea, and at that time it was like six years ago, Yoido Full Gospel was at like 700,000 or something like that. So he was like, the word mega is truly relative, right? Or if you go to Nigeria, some of the world's largest churches in Nigeria, in China, um, uh, uh, anyway, other countries. There's mega churches, huge churches, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands. You know, when Yoi the full gospel sneezes, the whole city of Seoul says, God bless you. (laughs) They take notice. They own a lot of the property in Yoido Island because... They were the only ones willing to invest into that nasty, God-forsaken island before any business ever set foot there. Did you know that back in the 70s, Yoido Island was nasty, empty, abandoned. It was like a trash dump. Yoido Full Gospel said, oh, here's some cheap land. Let's, let's set up right here. And Yoido developed beautifully. You go there now and the world, uh, the financial towers are being built right now in Yoido. I live right across the river from there. They developed Yoido Park. It's a beautiful park that they put, put there. I mean, we have a promised land to enter into. I know we are an English ministry church in Korea, but I don't care. All right. I think God has destined our church for greater things, for citywide, nationwide influence. There are smart people in this room. And God wants you to steward your gifts faithfully and with wisdom and creativity. And you're going to disciple nations. But check this out. Without tapping into the power of corporate faith, we're all just going to do circles in the desert like the Israelites did. We as a church, we need to come together and we need to learn the power of corporate faith. Every week when I lead prayer up here, I only lead about two topics, by the way. You come to Sunday Swim, you you come to Friday Fire, we lead like 6 to 12 topics. Right here, I only lead two topics and I do that on purpose to kind of meet in the middle. People who don't pray this way, who never pray this way, I'm just giving you a little taste and being like, hey, chew on it, get used to it. It's like kimchi. Keep chewing on it and you will like it. (laughs) Right? But what what I'm trying to model every Sunday when I lead the corporate intercession time is that I'm trying to get y'all to tap into the power of corporate faith. Because the more our church in oneness with each other and covenant with each other, we tap into the power of corporate faith, nothing will be impossible for us. The NGOs, the movements that we start will be unstoppable. In the entertainment mountain, the government mountain, 
the business mountain, the education mountain. You know, I'm really believing for leaders in New Philly at both this campus and Hillside. I am really believing for influential leaders rise up on the education mountain and change the education system of Cambodia, of Thailand, of Vietnam. Why? Because I want those children to stop being sold into sexual slavery. And one of the solutions is you got to change the education system there. Because the children don't get any education. The parents are just looking for any means to pay, pay their bills. And guess what? They look at their children and they're thinking, oh, there's an industry here for my child to serve and get money. And they're going to send their children continually there until education comes in and puts an end to that. I'm truly believing that the suicide rates here in Korea, Korea will no longer even be mentioned in the top 10. The number one killer of young people between ages 18 and 25 will no longer be suicide. It will be something really obscure, like tripping and falling on your face. <laughs> suicide won't even be on, on the radar. And that would happen as influential people rise up on the entertainment mountain. I'm telling you, our church, we, we are going somewhere. We're headed somewhere. There's a promised land that God wants to take us into, but we got to come together in corporate faith and believe it together and come in agreement with each other. So, you know, I want to encourage y'all. Pray together. Come out to prayer meetings together. Worship together. When you meet for a small group, don't underestimate the power of corporate faith there. All, all, all Jesus said was, if two of you agree on earth, all you need is two for corporate faith to be accessed. And he didn't mention if four or 40 or 400 of you come together. I mean, that's, I believe there's also exponential levels of power that can be released then as well. But, you know, when you meet with your small group, here's something that my uh, college mentor taught me. Whenever he prayed for me, Sometimes I wouldn't have the faith to believe, for, believe God for something that I was praying about. You know what he would do? He would say, Lord, I come in agreement with Christian's faith right now. And we're praying for a new guitar. Hallelujah. So that he can serve you in the worship ministry. I come in agreement with this faith. I come in agreement. I come in agreement. Hallelujah. All right, and that's how he, he would pray. And you know what he was teaching me? He was teaching me the power of corporate faith. He would cite this verse when he would say that. He would say, I come in agreement. It says in your word, if two of you agree on earth about anything, my, my Father in heaven will answer you. When you come together with your small group, you know, your small group members going through something really tough in their family, financial difficulty, relational stress, don't look at them and say, I'll pray for you. Now you say, you say right there, we're going to pray right now together. And I'm going to come in agreement with your faith. What are you believing them for? What are you believing God for here? Well, I'm believing God for financial breakthrough. Well, I'm going to come in agreement with that right now. I'm believing God for uh, unforgiveness issues to be settled. Well, I'm coming in agreement with that with you right now. Right? Tap into and model corporate faith with your small group members. And I'm telling you, they're naturally going to do it with others as well. And it's going to affect the whole body of Christ here. Let's pray.